the third episode of Nurturing Radical Kindness, a podcast where we explore radical kindness as a pathway to achieving social justice. My name is Vandita and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Sanchi, my pronouns are she, her. And thank you for tuning into another episode with us. We've been enjoying having these conversations on radical kindness with all of you so much. And yes, looking forward to learning lots more. Definitely, Sanchi. And we're so excited for today's conversation. We'll be talking about the politics of labor and we'll be exploring a little bit of what even is seen as work, what isn't seen as work and how our ideas of morality and right and wrong intersect with how we see work and how we assign value to work and to the people behind that. Before we start off for today, I would like to give a big shout out to the people behind the scenes. We have Kuhu and Ashita who've been working on the content um, that we've been hearing great feedback for. And we have Suchanda who's been producing the podcast. Thank you so much everyone for the work that you do. Yes, big, big thanks to everyone. And I think this is a very important conversation that we're having today, Vandita. So allow me to start right off with a question to you. Uh, and I want to ask you here, where do you exactly think our current understanding of work really comes from? Thanks for that question, Sachi. Um, I feel like understanding just what work means is something that I struggled a lot with um, because it didn't necessarily make as much obvious sense to me as it seemed to make to everybody. And I think the more I see work around me, I think it's very much rooted in a capitalist idea of production. So I think work often becomes about, okay, so you did something, but as a result of that, how much did you produce? Is there something tangibly that can either be sold off or that has created additional financial value in some way? And I think tying in our understanding of work with the whole financial aspect of production has also limited our imagination of what work is. Um, I think that's also led to so many other things, right? Work has become so inherently interlinked with what we believe about ourselves. Um, the values of good and bad we assign to ourselves because so much of people's self-esteem in a capitalist system comes from what we believe um, work assigns value. That means that we think we're good or bad based on the values we assign to the work that we do. What about you, Sachi? That makes so much sense, Vandita. And to be honest, like you said, we do see this all around us, right? Work uh, is something that can produce additional monetary benefit to us. And uh, since we have grown up seeing certain types of work not being valued as much around us, I think right? And how domestic work is socially treated clearly points to this. And I think one another important thing here is that work output is one thing that is definitely, definitely influenced by capitalism. But uh, another thing that comes into play about the perception we hold towards any work or any occupation is also affected by who is doing it, right? will also decide how we perceive it. And this is where I think what we do intersects with the identities we occupy. Like uh, our caste, our gender identity, our sexual orientation, ethnicity and so many other axes that we hold intersect with what we do. 
जैसे कि देर सो मच कास्ट टाइपिंग ऑफ जॉब्स दैट हैपन्स वेर इन आर सिस्टम्स यूज दिस टू रियली कंटिन्यूसली एक्सप्लॉयड सर्टन कास्ट ग्रुप्स है ना एंड इफ यू टॉक अबाउट जेंडर आई थिंक हाउ दिस कम्स इन टू प्ले इज वेरी ऑब्वियस बिकॉज हम सब ने ये देखा है कि सम ऑक्यूपेशन आर कंसिडर्ड इनहेरेंटली फेमिनिन वाइल अदर्स आर टेकन टू बी मोर मैस्किलिन एंड फिर ऑब्वियसली बाई डिफॉल्ट जो फेमिनिन ऑक्यूपेशन हैं दे कम टू बी वैल्यूड लेसर राइट मतलब uh, हमारी बाइनरी अंडरस्टैंडिंग्स इतनी इनग्रेन है हमारे दिमाग में कि थिंग्स लाइक बेबी सिटिंग नर्सिंग और सेक्रेटेरियल पोजिशन वगैरह जो uh, ये सब चीज़ें हैं हम वेरी ईजिली वी लेबल दैम लेस इम्पॉर्टेंट बिकॉज वी एसोसिएट दैम विद कन्वेंशनली फेमिनिन ट्रेड्स एंड जस्ट एन इंस्टेंस फ्राम पॉप कल्चर कम्स इन टू माइंड योर वेर इन दिस दिस सीन फ्रॉम फ्रेंड्स वेर रेचल हायर्स कोट एंड कोट मेल नैनी फॉर एमा एंड रॉस हैज़ अ वेरी हार्ड टाइम एक्सेप्टिंग एंड कीप्स आस्किंग द नैनी के सो योर जस्ट लाइक अ गाय हुज अ नैनी आई मीन हाउ रिडिकुलस इज इट दैट वी वैल्यू सम वर्क लेस बिकॉज अ पर्टिकुलर काइंड ऑफ पर्सन डज द वर्क और बिकॉज सम आइडेंटिटीज कम टू टेक अप दैट वर्क मोर ओवर टाइम एंड so many of us are also guilty of this right the way we say female journalist female comedian female politician why why is it unimaginable for us to think that women or other gender minorities can occupy these positions bilkul sachi thank you for sharing that i think it's so important to always go back to remembering ki the bodies we are in will determine how we are treated and also everything that we do is treated picking up from the example you shared from friends i was recently like watching a rerun of modern family and there's an episode where phil says oh you know claire is going back to work after a 20 year vacation and she stops him and she says i wasn't on vacation because for 20 years claire was a mother and a homemaker and she raised three children and managed the house and did a bunch of other things i love that they actually showed that where she stops him and um specifically raises that that wasn't a vacation period for me but thank you so much for the points you bring up i think it also takes me to the mindset then that comes in when we talk about labor and dignity of labor right i think often even conversations on the dignity of labor ke around karte hain it becomes about ye jobs aise hain jo koi nahi karna chahta but kisi ko karne pad rahe hain isliye hum inko bacha kaise sakte hain the whole saving mentality comes in like you mentioned different identities experience jobs differently and depending on who's doing your job also we assign different values right um if it's women doing jobs like nurturing roles we might assign a certain type of value but we would not financially compensate for it as much especially when it comes to caste these are not even options given um people are forced into jobs that are not even given the sort of protection or given any sort of support especially in keeping with the hazardous conditions they work in so i think that whole idea of deserve um, also needs to be delinked from the idea of labor or just humanity in general because when we say that you know someone is deserving of a better job then are we saying ki duniya mein aise log hain who are not deserving of such a job right are we saying that there are people who don't deserve good jobs but that's not true everyone deserves a job that fulfills them everyone deserves a job that um has certain safety standards provides a minimum living wage 
um and i would say even beyond like a minimum living wage right it gives you a wage that allows you to enjoy your life um and not just live it so you don't just survive through it you're thriving through life and i think detaching the idea of deserve from it um also really helped me move away from my personal mentality of saving someone or trying to fix something for someone because there is nothing to fix or save but our mindsets and of course work conditions have to be improved of course certain jobs need to go away and they do not need to um be assigned or relegated to certain specific identities but we definitely do not ever have to enter a situation from a saving mindset we have to enter a situation from the mindset of everyone has a right to an equitable dignified work environment and our ideas of morality and our ideas of what we think is good work and bad work cannot determine that thanks for that vandita and i think what you said about we don't have to enter anything with a fixing mindset but because all that we have to fix is our own mindset is so powerful and thanks for that and another thing that then comes to mind here is how we also attach uh, value to the kind of work a person is doing and and i think that really feeds into our fixing mindset ki oh this person is doing a job that we don't really value because we have a moral judgment about the work uh, and the kind of work more uh, importantly that they're doing and uh, i think that is really something uh, that we need to change because for example uh, people performing tasks considered intellectual are definitely more respected than persons performing more physical tasks you know and i think a very very clear example of this is a school setting wherein a teacher is more respected uh in any school setting um than a janitor even though dono jo kaam kar rahe hain it's a uh, equally required and critical in fact to how the school runs and even though both the roles are critical which means that the labor that they put in uh the teacher and the janitor both are necessary for uh, a school to be functioning smoothly there is a clear difference in how both are treated right chahe it's the treatment by students uh, by parents uh, by other teachers or by the management hame pata hai whose labor is respected more and i think even in our general perceptions of such labor everything is so value judged right and this clearly reflects in our movies also um where a girl's father i think might reject a boy she loves because he does a job that is not respected ek to already so many layers of problems with this but uh, talking about labor in specific we have seen this uh, whether in raja hindustani where amir khan was a taxi driver or even in ishq where he was a mechanic if i remember correctly and in both the movies the stories and the plot line plot line really revolves around the fathers of the love interest rejecting the guy for the work he did for it was considered lowly somehow bilkul sanchi i think what you're sharing about um, the value we assign to the type of work is extremely important because i think this is where that distinction comes in right that even if someone is financially making as much money like economically bringing the same amount of income we have certain preconceived ideas of what work is good and what work is bad and i give this example so much but a priest that maybe comes home and does puja um in your house or like in a temple 
sometimes is earning less than what a driver would be earning but the way a family would treat a priest is so much different than how they would treat a driver so it's not always just class that comes in we also assign a lot of value to certain roles just because one of intellect versus physical needs to do the job but also often because of caste connotations because of historical reasons and because we're continuing the oppression of certain identities by doing this yeah that's so true and uh, i think we've seen this all around us that class based social mobility like even if you're earning more it doesn't automatically mean that your job is as respected like you said right and a real life example that comes to mind here is i know someone who moved to the us and they started working as a taxi driver and they were earning good for themselves and they were happy in what they were doing but people back home were just saying oh ye gaya us and what is he doing he's just driving cars around wo driver hai and the moral judgment that comes from it is so harsh right and that just goes on to tell us ke even if we move upwards in the class hierarchy our systems just teach us to value some work less than the other that's an extremely relevant example um sanchi i think i've seen this happen so much even in my communities where people will often not take up jobs they will ostracize persons and it is so interlinked to caste it is so interlinked to our ideas of what is a good job what is a bad job because for so long we've been taught that this is not your place in life right you deserve better and that whole idea of deserve your place in life those come from inherently caste assumptions they come from inherently like hegemonic identity assumptions because they're assuming that each person one wants to have the same pathway in life second they're also assuming that if you take up some sort of job versus the other you are less than the other and often in certain situations i find a certain moralizing that happens about the job as well right where it's not just about um is this a good job or a bad job it becomes a reflection of your virtue and your character that's so true anita and like what from what you pointed at i cannot help but think of sex work here and the idea of morality that we attach to it i mean there is historical evidence of sex work existing as a profession and today it has come to a point where people indulging in it are ostracized by the mainstream society now there are cases where we need to intervene if there is bonded labor and if somebody is being forced into it but what i'd like to talk about here is people exercising their choice and their agency to do sex work and how they are looked at both by the society and by the law and we know it's in a very very demeaning way which is so problematic no definitely sachi um i would also say that when we are talking about the concerns of sex workers it becomes so important like with any other profession to center their voices and their agency which means that while a lot of sex workers have been forced into this profession um at least from what i have read of their thoughts and through my work this is um this is the work that they do now and they don't want you to come in and save them without providing them alternatives that they can truly take up and they definitely do not want to be saved right they do not see themselves as helpless they do not see themselves as at the mercy of um ngo uh, government body they need rights they need 
to have protection from police officers sometimes from other civil society members um they need protection from other like stakeholders um what they don't need is for us to moralize their job and what they don't need is for us to create a whole savior attitude around their profession anyway yeah that's so true vandita and i think you put that so beautifully and there's a poem that then comes to my mind which i'd like to share because it's very very relevant to what we're talking about right now it's a sex worker's plea and i think it will help us understand this better so here goes free from being treated like a burden free from a life where food is uncertain free from poverty which bleeds me dry free from a situation which forced me to break down and cry free from a husband who beat me sore free from a house to run oh what a chore free from a belly bursting with his seed free from producing more mouths to feed they look at me funny as though i've gone astray how do i explain to them that i'm happier this way i make the calls and get to decide who lays on top and who gets to ride my rates are set and so are my hours How different am I from perks your corporates share? It's a hard job and I labor for money. Stop the ridicule and making this funny. Did you know I pay taxes? No labor is tax free. There's hard work that goes into what makes me me. So the next time you see a sex worker on the street, just remember the simple sex worker's plea. We do what we do because it pays. Why not make it legitimate all of these lays? Why should I switch jobs and become what you want me to be? That is so powerful. Thank you so much Sanchi for sharing that. I think the last line um, just really stays with me. I think the whole idea of just agency and choice and people being able to decide what they want to do um and to be able to do it in a way that is fulfilling and dignified is so important. and in a scenario where abuse and violence and harm exist it is so important to create a supportive environment for survivors um if we are talking about labor violations if we are talking about unsafe labor conditions what we need to do is not just go in there and save a certain say 10 people or 15 people what we need over time is systemic change where the ecosystem for all people everywhere changes where work conditions change social security kicks in uh where you have benefits even when you're working independently and i think sanjee just picking up from that i think it's also about what roles in society have traditionally been seen as essential and what have been seen as not so essential right and often they say oh the market will fix the rates and the market forces will fix things but the pandemic for me also was really eye opening in the sense to say that no you know the market does not know because the market set rates and set salary benchmarks for jobs for professions that were completely irrelevant in a pandemic um it did not recognize the need for so many people who we do not think of as essential workers i'll give you an example for me um the amazon delivery person was serving as an essential worker because in the initial months of the pandemic itself they were there delivering stuff everywhere and i'm not saying they're just delivering frivolous items right 
these were the people bringing us our N95 masks. These were the people bringing us our sanitizers. Um, so the idea of who an essential worker is really shifted, I think, at a community level as well. Because now when I think of an essential worker, the first images that come to mind are so much more different. And I know that a lot of conversation during the pandemic happened about content creators and how we would not have been able to survive without all of this rich content, right? Especially for persons with the privilege to access internet, have devices with them. And I think some content creators that get completely missed out even over here are porn actors. Um, porn actors create content. Um, there were reported spikes of consumption during the pandemic. While a lot of porn is unethical, a lot of porn is abusive, and the industry in itself is problematic, there is a lot of ethical feminist porn that is coming up as well. And we don't necessarily value them or give them the same sort of dignity and respect. I mean, think of what our country has done with Sunny Leone, the way we've treated her. Um, I've seen her be extremely dignified in interviews, at speaking engagements, and somehow every person that engages with her thinks that because of her profession, it is okay to then be invasive and disrespectful towards her about her everyday life in so many different ways. And I think that really is a reflection on how we attach value to work because of the models we associate with these jobs. Yeah, and like it just ties up so well into a conversation that we've been having about what is really valued as work. And if an artist painting a painting is seen as an artist, then why isn't a porn actor seen as an artist? Definitely, Sanchi. Um, I think in addition to this, some of the recent conflicts, and I know I'm jumping from one thing to the other, but when I talk about the politics of labor, as for you, I think it's so enmeshed with each other that you can't really have a conversation about one without the other. Like when I think of this, I think about the value we assign to say housework and care work. And recently legal conversations that have come up about say, paying a salary for these roles, right? I find that sometimes we settle for very simple solutions for what are actually very nuanced demands, for what are very complex problems. Like I don't think that my mother is a homemaker and I don't think giving her a salary on a monthly basis is necessarily going to fix anything. I think there is so much more that needs to go into this in terms of policy change, in terms of maybe directing the income of the partner to their other partner who's the homemaker or the home manager. Maybe the government doing direct cash transfers in cases where the family anyway would not be able to afford to pay the mother, you know, in the house. What about land rights, property rights? And I think that of so many other cases as well, 70% above farmers in the country are women and they don't have land rights, they don't have property rights. They till land that is still in the name of their husbands, their fathers, their brothers. I see that in other professions as well. And I think that conversations around labor often get restricted to maybe a salary increase or a wage increase. But I don't think that adequately addresses issues of dignity. It does not adequately address issues of rights because rights are not just about money. Rights are about so many other benefits. And we never really, you know, we never really want to go beyond slightly more superfluous and the more easy thing of oh let's increase the income or let's give them a salary to like an actual solution 
Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, Vandita. I think that again goes on to show us how various identity markers like our gender here intersect with what we do on a daily basis. And uh, I've always struggled with this, you know, how do we even monetize something as work at home, which actually is uh, what makes the country's economy run, right? Because if one day my mother, who's a homemaker, decides that she's not going to cook, she's not going to clean, my father won't be able to go to the office, right? And uh, since we've monetized only one kind of work, how do we even grapple with all these complex questions? And I think what you shared really helped me build uh, and uh, really start thinking about it in a more holistic manner. So really, thanks a lot for that. Definitely. Thanks, Sanji. And I think something that um, has helped me put this into perspective is thinking about how um, our lives are so often subsidized by people living in the cities, but people living in conditions that we would not want to live in ourselves. Um, So the fact that I, as a modern day Indian woman, is able to go to a job and do something outside of her house is because my life is subsidized by a domestic worker who I pay very minimum wages. Um, Even the minimum wage laws in our country are laughable, right? Like the income levels are extremely low. But my life is subsidized by that domestic worker. And I am able to do other things and create more money or like more financial value for money outside because there is someone who then takes care of my home. For some people, takes care of their children, like in so many different ways, right? As a nanny, as a domestic worker. And I think these are conversations we're not having. And these are also things we're not thinking about when we think about what is fair remuneration? What are fair wages for people? because of whom we're even able to pursue what we want to do. And I think in line with this, I'd love to now introduce our guest. Today we have with us Sara, who's the Senior Program Officer for Knowledge and Advocacy at One Future Collective. Sara is also one of the co-leads on a research study that looks at gendered care work and housework during the pandemic. And we thought she'd be a great fit for everyone to listen in and really understand the value of labor and the politics that goes behind labor. Sarah, so happy to have you today with us. Hi, so happy to be here. I've already learned so much from um, your conversation. Hi, Sarah. You're always so kind and it's so nice to have you here on the podcast today. Uh, Like you know, we're talking about the politics of labor and we'd love to know your take on what you think is really seen as valuable labor in our society and how does identity then intersect with this value? Um, So I would like to start by quoting Zadie Smith. She says, I think the traditional feminine arts of homemaking or dressmaking or whatever are shamefully undervalued. They are doing what I'm doing, making a space for another person to be in, creating an architecture for life. There's no greater task, but also no more mundane one. And I think this essentially summarizes uh, what we see as valuable work. Um, as as Vandita rightly mentioned previously in the conversation, uh, bec- we have such a capitalistic idea of work um, that we don't consider care work or domestic work or anything that involves nurturing and anything that cannot be, cannot have uh, measured output as valuable. And consequently, care work in domestic work is highly undervalued in spite of the fact that 
it's it's essential it's something that keeps the world going um, it's something that we all need um, all throughout our lives and at different points in lives also have to contribute to 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 answer the second part of your question which is what is the role that identity plays here the first aspect of identity that i would like to explore is gender so like zadie smith also mentioned homemaking and care work is tagged as feminine it's it's a consensus that women are supposed to do it it's a feminine thing to do and problem with this is twofold first because it's considered feminine because we've labeled it feminine uh, people also assume it to be easy and you know weak or like not important or secondary which reflects in the way we treat domestic workers like people who come home and uh, work for us and also in the way we treat our moms when it comes to homemaking like usually when they whine about domestic work or they whine about certain problems at home or coordination or the fact that they're not getting time to themselves we usually look at it as whining we usually don't want to listen to it or we usually think of it as trivial whereas that may not be the case if someone is complaining about having a bad day at office for instance and the second problem with this is that because we label it as feminine girls from the very beginning of their lives see women around them carrying the burden of household work they're taught that this is their ascent this is their main purpose in life that this is what they're uh, meant for and that is really unfair uh, i i can't really understand wh- how you tie in gender with the type of you know with this idea that housework can only be performed by women or only should be performed by women it's very possible that in a family maybe the dad is more suited to stay at home and do the nurturing work whereas the mom is more suited to go outside and work but that sort of a setting will be very unacceptable um in the society and that may cause a lot of stress for everyone in the family and that is really unfair another aspect of identity that i would like to explore is caste so um rajasthan is my native place and over there this certain caste called bhangans they are supposed to clean toilets no one else cleans toilets only bhangans clean toilets and there is this lady old lady who has been cleaning toilets at my nani's place since the time i was a kid i don't know her name i don't nobody in my family knows her name but she's just the bhangan and she's supposed to clean toilets her children are supposed to clean toilets it's a whole uh, it's as though even before they're born their caste is determining that they're supposed to do that job and they're not very well respected because of the job they do um the similar thing goes for gujjars who are who people who are supposed to tend to cows or rear cows and it, it's assumed that your children will do the same so this sort of structure is again very oppressive because it limits the possibility that they see for themselves it limits their uh possibility for their children because they cannot climb up the social ladder they're not respected they're not treated as equals thank you so much for that sara um this actually reminds me of something that kiruba says which is that caste in itself is violence um it's not just caste based violence right because the existence of an external social categorization that not only predetermines your position in life but it predetermines the path your life is supposed to take 
and it also assigns and takes away the dignity that you are allowed to have in life at least from a societal perspective that is inherently violent and we see that so much when we talk about labor she's going to pick up on something else that you shared that you know when women talk like when women who manage the house talk about their problems it's seen as whining but we're somehow very comfortable with people who go to formal jobs talking for hours about why they hate their jobs but we don't even allow um our homemakers our caregivers the same benefit the same uh, easy simple luxury of being able to say i had a really bad day at work everyone around me was horrible i wish i wasn't doing this job um even that is seen as whining and we don't assign the same importance we do to maybe a friend ranting about their bad day at office from that i just like to share um this quote from the book the origin of family private property and the state of 1884 which goes on to also state that the emergence of private property is what led to women's household work sort of sinking into insignificance in comparison to man's what is seen as productive labor it does look at um the whole binary of work from a very binary gendered lens but it brings up a very important point that even a century later is quite valid right it's quite ingrained in our society so sara i'd love to understand from you i want to start by asking that what do we mean when we say unpaid household and care work and is there a gendered aspect to this work so unpaid household and care work refers to domestic work like cleaning sweeping laundry cooking gardening and anything else that is needed to run the house and ensure the well-being of the people who live in it uh an unpaid household and care work is definitely gendered in nature in india and this is suggested by a number of trends so for instance you know let's discuss women's participation in the labor force in india so it's a paradox okay like in spite of a decrease in the gender gap in education and a decline in fertility female labor force participation rate in india is amongst the lowest in the world and uh, it's even more weird when we see that there's a u shaped relationship between education and a woman's decision to enter the labor force in india which essentially means that post middle school education the chances of a woman entering the labor force increases as she acquires more education that said uh i think it's important to highlight two facts the first being that data suggests that there is a strong negative relationship between the educational attainment of a husband and his wife's decision to enter the labor force uh and the odds of a woman entering the labor force decreases by more than 50% if her husband is a college graduate uh another fact that i would like to highlight is that there is also a negative relationship between a woman's decision to enter the labor force the number of children she has and if she's married with the odds of a woman's decision to enter the labor force declining by more than 60% if she's married These statistics are a representation of the gendered nature of household and unpaid care work. Like the societal norms and culture has made it so normal for care work to be a woman's first priority, and it's become such an acceptable part of our lives that uh, it's we no longer even acknowledge it or consider this care work is real work. 
and this division of work based on gender instead of abilities puts women at a disadvantage it makes it more difficult for them to achieve professional goals um so for instance women who go to work today outside of their homes are expected to balance both the home and their professional office or workspace and you know the uh, image of an ideal woman is one who can balance all of this why expect so much out of a woman i mean we're human beings right um and like the same expectations are not set on men and somehow women are you know uh, made to feel guilty or made to feel like failures um if they fail to deliver on you know household work and the clearest example of this is so when i was in school one of my classmates her mom uh, was a politician and so essentially when my friend didn't do very well in exams um like the supervisor she came and she told her ki you know tell your mom to pay more attention on your studies politics can keep happening and in spite of being a woman she said this to her as though like my friend's education or a child's education is only the woman's responsibility and this happens all the time for any wrong doing of the child people raise their fingers towards their mother as though the father or other family members have no responsibility towards nurturing or taking care of the child or raising uh, the child and this puts women at a disadvantage right from the outset uh, because they have to juggle these responsibilities it means that they have to take into account greater constraints if they are thinking of pursuing further education or if they're thinking of taking on a more uh, demanding job um so it's not a level playing field for women out there thank you so much for that sara um i think uh, i really resonated with what you shared especially about um how uh, the school setting or the education responsibility of uh, the children falls upon the mother and i remember from my school days whenever i did not do well in a test the teacher would come back to me saying tumhari mummy dhyan nahi deti kya tumhari padhai pe and it was never tumhare papa dhyan nahi dete ya like anybody else in the family and i think what you shared really helped me understand closer home how this really manifests in our everyday life so really thanks a ton for that and from what you shared it really got me thinking about how our situations have drastically changed this year because of the onset of the pandemic and then the subsequent lockdown and this is what uh, brings me to my next question to you which is how do you think that this problem that is of unpaid uh, household care work and the gendered nature of it how is it that this problem is manifesting during the pandemic and why should we even think about unpaid household and care work in the first place why do you think it is important to talk about it especially right now um okay so i'm going to begin by answering your first question and in the pandemic there are like two aspects to this problem the first being that more people are staying at home were staying at home because of the lockdown and so there was more work to do at home and the second there was very limited or absolutely no access to uh, outside domestic help so that also so increased uh, the burden of domestic work and you know it is very difficult to argue against the fact that unpaid domestic and care work facilitates paid work education and almost every other activity in our lives 
And like I mentioned previously, the problem is that this work has been labeled as feminine and it's become an acceptable norm for women to shoulder the burden of unpaid domestic and care work disproportionately. And again, this trend has costs, especially for the people who are shouldering these responsibilities. Because women are engaged in domestic work and care work, they cannot develop the skills or engage in education to get a paying job. It takes away from their financial independence and it often makes them vulnerable to, uh, you know, abuse because they would have no independent finances or places to go to, people to consult if they've been doing only household domestic and care work all their lives. And, you know, household and care work is also not accounted for in the GDP. This is again a reflection of the fact that household and care work is not given importance. Its contribution is unacknowledged. And it's this is also reflected in the way domestic help is treated in India. It's an issue of social justice and gender equity. And, you know, the fact that household and care work as a gender nature implies that women are conditioned to feel guilty for faith failing to complete these duties and their worth is judged by their ability to perform them and like you know this is very evident from the latest round of the nss survey which suggests that the biggest reason why girls under the age of 18 drop out of school is that they need to engage in domestic work and this is just to say that in every debate about gender equality it is important to acknowledge that it is important to acknowledge household and care work that is performed and to change the attitude and norms around it. Those are some incredibly important points, Sarah. Thank you so much for bringing them up. I think I saw this so much during the pandemic where there were instances of male academics being able to publish more, whereas the publishing rates of female academics went down simply because the increased burden of care work was so disproportionate. Um, there was a lack of access to domestic help, bringing me back to an earlier point where without having other women, um, especially women sometimes from oppressed groups, um, allows for our lives to be subsidized. And without that, it will often be detrimental to women and other marginalized identities and not necessarily for men. Even that during the pandemic, like there was a higher rate of dropout amongst girls and a higher like... Um, loss of jobs amongst women as compared to men. Of course, most of the data that we do have is very binary in terms of gender. But thank you so much for all of these extremely pertinent points. And I think it gives me a lot to think about um, some of those relations between data points for things that I had never thought about. I was also recently reading a book um, called Data Feminism by Catherine and Lauren. And they mentioned that um, the International Feminist Collective in the 1970s launched what was the Wages for Housework campaign, where they used the term reproductive labor in contrast to productive labor, which is your traditionally paid labor, instead of calling it unproductive um, to denote unpaid. And this terminology comes from the understanding that reproductive labor made it possible for those involved in productive tasks, right? What we see as like office work, work in factories, etc., to continue to perform these tasks. And I think it's so important to reimagine our work like that, to think of our work with dignity and respect in every aspect. That's so beautiful, Vandita, and I'm sure going to be using that terminology going forward. So thanks for sharing that. 
and thank you so much for joining us today sara it was a treat talking to you and getting to hear your thoughts and thank you so much for all that you've got us to think about thank you so much for having me i love being here and talking about this essential like having this essential conversation thank you sara you were wonderful and to everyone who tuned in thank you so much too yes absolutely thanks for staying with us and having these conversations and uh, like always we're going to leave you with a short reflection activity so whenever you hear this episode for the next 24 hours uh, really think about and make a note of all the people whose labor keeps your world moving and how you think their labor is valued and compensated we'd love to hear your reflections and you can send us voice notes in anchor or you can dm us and if you like this episode please follow us on instagram and facebook at one future collective and at one future underscore india on twitter and do keep an eye out for future episodes out every first and third monday of the month until next time everyone stay with us on our journey towards a radically kinder world